So how is everybody doing today? Well, that's a little excitement. That's a little excitement. So I want you to do me a favor, and if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to chapter John chapter 19, verse 28, and we'll get there in just a minute. But I am so excited about our Easter Sunday that's coming up. And, and before I do that, I'm also excited about all this next generation stuff, but I know that these, but the adults are sitting here and they're like, what about me? What about me? Where's my life group? It's coming, I promise. I promise it's coming. So during Memorial Day weekend, as well as the weekend after, we will have some things going on for you adults to sign up for life groups that are going to happen over the summer. And I don't want you to miss it. So just continue to be preparing and praying and asking God, okay, God, I know that I don't know what life groups are out there yet, but... God, prepare my heart for one of them that are coming. Because they're going to be fun ones. There's going to be study ones. There's going to be all these things that you can get involved in. And we want to make sure that you know that it is important, it is crucial that you get involved in a life group, as most of our next gen has and our young adults have. So let's go ahead. We are in the red letter day, and we are looking at some of the sayings that Jesus said on the cross. And this is a great scripture. It says, later knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. There are some key words. It says, later knowing that all was now completed. So you got to understand that Jesus lived his life not like many of us where, where we are thrown by the circumstances that we come up against. But he knew why he was here. He knew what he was going to have to go through. And, and the thing is, is that he, he is on that cross and he says those words to fulfill a prophecy. And we are going to go more in depth with that in a moment. But there are more prophecies that he, that he fulfilled. You see a whole thing that he was doing through this time. Psalm 22, you can look at Isaiah and Deuteronomy, Leviticus, even Exodus. You see a lot of things actually that will relate back to what he was doing here on this earth and why he came. So he was clinching the deal to try and confirm to everybody, hey, look, I'm on this cross because I am the one. Not because I wasn't the one, but I am the one. And that's why he was on that cross. So it says here, knowing that all was now completed and, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. In the New King James Version, it says, I thirst. So today, if you are taking notes, that is the title of the message, I Thirst. I Thirst. And so it goes on to say in, in chapter 19, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and then lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Why? For you and I. 
So we're looking at the words, I am thirsty. Or if you look at, if you study the New King James Version, I thirst. Because we know that he doesn't just say things without any reason. And the reason was, again, to fulfill the prophecy. But I also think that if he was up there on that cross and he says, I thirst. You see, back then, the Israelites, those that would study scripture, they would actually Basically, before the children would leave the house, they would say, hey, you have to know this. You have to know what's going on in the, in the word, in the Torah, and, and, and you need to know what was said. And if they said, I thirst, I think it would remind them what happened in Exodus. Because you see, in Exodus chapter 17, you will start to discover that there is a period of the Israelites that where they have come out of slavery, they've been freed from all the bondage that was in Egypt, but they haven't been freed from their bondage. They haven't been freed from their bondage. They've been freed physically. But the thing is, is that they were stuck Because they couldn't see God, but even though he was there in a cloud, and they were complaining. Like, you got me out of Egypt, but I'm out here hungry, and I'm thirsty. What are you going to do about it? Why, God, am I, why did we even leave the land? We were actually getting fed, and we were actually having drinks in Egypt. And they were complaining about that. And I think that that's why part of the reason why Jesus was on the cross. Because when he said, I thirst, it reminded him, oh, he provided before. Why would we doubt if he's going to provide again the Messiah? Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is him. Maybe this is what the plan was. But some people still didn't get it. This statement they were complaining about was... Is, is, is God among us or not? Is, is God really here or not? I reckon Jesus said, I thirst because he was fulfilling the messianic prophecy, right? And, and you're wondering, am I the one or not? And, and they're sitting there thinking, like, is he? Is he not? But we see, we see as the story goes on that he is. So let me read Exodus 17. Two before I get ahead of myself. It says, so when he said, I am thirsty, that would have taken them back to the Old Testament where the Israelites were complaining about the rock. So if you go back to scripture and you see it, you'll see that he is the rock that is on the cross saying, I am thirsty in order for, to fulfill it, right? In, in order to fulfill what was going on. He says, I thirst and he says, I thirst to everyone and know who is wondering that is me. I'm fulfilling your water that you need. It, is, it, it isn't until we see something happen in a soldier that gave him the drink up on that cross. It's, it, think about it. The centurion soldier later when Jesus actually died and the earthquake happened and the temple curtain was torn into two and everything collapsed and in the, in the centurion Centurion said, surely this was the son of God. Is this the one or not? Here I am, Jesus says, I thirst. The centurion soldier drops down to his knees. We get this picture of of a man dropping down to his knees who was in charge at that time, drops down to his knees and says, I've heard the story about the water. 
and, and you brought water out of a rock, and you are the rock who is on the cross, and the water is going to come through you. I started thinking about Matthew 5, um, chapter 5, verse 6. It says, blessed are you if you are hungry or if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be filled. The whole kingdom of heaven is about one thing, and that's a relationship with him, a relationship with God. And everything about that is to seek a life of righteousness. Now, we are not righteous because of what we do. We are righteous because of what he had done on that cross. That's why we are righteous. So now my inner thirst, my, my hunger, my appetite is quenched when I enter into a relationship with Jesus. He thirsts so I would not have to. And you can go look at that in Isaiah 53. So he thirsts so that I can be satisfied. So now I've got to figure out with my thirst, where am I going to get filled? Where am I going to get filled? The whole concept of thirst is to understand my righteousness is not because of what I do or did, but it's about who I am in him and what he did. So have you ever been thirsty? Have you ever had that opportunity to be in the desert without any water, without any drink, without anything going on. Like, but you forgot your water. Have you ever been thirsty? You know, I lived in Florida, and we would go to the beach quite often. And we were thirsty quite often when we would go to the beach because we would spend all afternoon looking for shark teeth and swimming around and and things to that nature. And, and the thing was, was that once you get that salt water in your mouth, you become even more thirsty. And, and I brought this water to show you an example because I know some of you are sitting there thirsty. And I was thirsty, but I'm, I'm thirsty now. And I'm being filled by this Aquafina. But the thing is, is that our thirst is filled with him, right? I don't think Jesus was saying, I am thirsty because he was actually thirsty. Do you think he's, I mean, think about it. This is the, this is the man, this is the Messiah that actually went in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. And at this time he tells us he's thirsty? Like he went and battled Satan head to head, face to face, and Satan would challenge him, and all of a sudden, he now tells us he's thirsty on the cross. I, don't, I think it was just a fulfillment. It wasn't about the actual thirst. He was showing, you know, what it meant when he was on the cross for a few hours, and he says, I'm thirsty. I wonder if, I wonder if it was more about what he could have given us because of what he was doing upon that cross. Right? I thirst. I think we have to figure out how to live a life that brings us into a space, into God's space, where we, where we actually live with the well by us or in us or within us. We thirst for lots of different things. We hunger for different things. You're really thirsty. You're so dry on the inside and you want this. God wants that for us, but it's, it's going to come down to a place where it's not just about me 
and me being satisfied and me fulfilling the thirst that I need. It is about me day by day, step by step, getting closer to him. And through this, I transition from everything I could, like everything I do, do to support me and get to a place where I can be a life giver, a water giver, a person who can supply the water that's inside of me so that someone else doesn't even have to go to the well, but I bring the well to them. Jesus on the cross said, I thirst. I got a feeling it was to try to help us get to a place where we could start to respond to the needs of others. I think that's the whole point of this, of him saying, I thirst, because I don't think he was thirsty. I don't think he was. He wasn't because there's another story that we see. And and we've already studied it here. We actually studied it the first week. But I'm going to go back to it, and I'm going to come to it from a different point of view. And I, and I, want, you to, I want you to look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And it says this, and I'm going to read quite a bit. So don't fall asleep on me. You promise? Oh, that was only part of you. If I hear you snoring, I'll throw the Bible. Just kidding, just kidding. Okay, it says, in John chapter 4, verse 1, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's amazing. Right there, I'm going to stop. We're competing already. We're actually putting Jesus to a competition. Huh. Although, it sounds like church today. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, which means drunkard. Just so if anybody ever asked you, what does Sakar mean? You, you will know that. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was, from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked for you for hold on, excuse me for you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. I am. I just drank water. I am thirsty already. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to here to draw the water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. 
I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and many of you, not, um, and the man you have now have it is not your husband. What you have just uh what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must, must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father um, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You, you Samaritan worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come now come when the Jew or when a true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is the Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I am who speak to you, or I who speak to you am he. That's him. That's Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's telling her, I'm that living water. He didn't reveal himself to very many people. We see that throughout history. He does this, he does to this woman. And I think it shows us something about thirst. I think the real thirst of Jesus is actually that we would receive his life, and that we would become life-giving people, and that we would learn how to give life to others. I think that that's what the thirst was. Now, it's all about a well within that bubbles up the eternal life that comes out and feeds everybody. Being a life-giving person feeds everybody. Jesus on a cross, he's on a cross and he's stuck there. Talk about captivity. And when he says, I, am thir- I thirst, it's not about what he can do, what, what we can all do for him. He's trying to give us a bigger picture about the place to get to that everything is about pouring yourself out for others. In verse 7, we see that when the Samaritan came to draw the water, will you give me a drink, Jesus said. What Jesus was saying He needed is what the woman actually needed. She needed the water. She needed the drink. Verse 10 is is beautiful. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, we're talking about the seed. The seed of all creation was sitting there asking for water from this lady. We're talking about what it talks about in Galatians 3 and in Colossians 1. It talks about how Jesus is the seed of salvation. It talks about he's the firstborn from among the dead. Come back for us and how through Christ we can have life. So you've got the seed, the seed of creation, the seed of woman, which is in Revelation. So we are talking about the seed. The seed is there, the incorruptible seed that can germinate germinate life in you. It's the seed that if planted in you can grow beauty. It's that seed. Jesus stops, he rests there and has an interaction with a woman, a dialogue. And then he goes on 
in verse 31, it says this. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him to eat. And he said, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have, I have food to eat that you have know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? How are we seeing Jesus? Are we just seeing him as a man who came on this earth and died on a cross? Are we seeing him as a man who was God, who came on this earth, that died on the cross, that fulfills our food and our hunger and our thirst? How are we seeing him? I mean, Jesus is waiting. He's tired. He's waiting. And he said, or then it goes on, the disciples go in to get the food. They come back. We've got food. He's like, I don't want your food. That's not the food that I'm going to survive on. Jesus is hungry, yet his appetite is quenched and satisfied by doing the will of God. Do you see that he was hungry when they left, but ate while they were gone? And he ate because he served someone else. Do you see that? He was giving something to someone else, and that's what fed him. That's what gave him more of life. You can be hungry physically. You can be physically hungry. You get involved with the Spirit of God in something, and all of a sudden, you feel satisfied. Like, where did it go? I can remember as a kid, not even as a kid, but as a, as a high school pastor, and we would go through this thing called a 30-hour famine, and we would raise money to support um, world hunger and world missions, and it was crazy because by the end of the time, I wasn't even hungry. I didn't want that, that spaghetti dinner at the end. But it wasn't because my body wasn't hungry. My soul was fed because of what I was doing. So we've got need, we've got seed, and we've got feed. The disciples come back with the feed, and Jesus is like, well done, man. You missed it. Like, you missed the opportunity. It was right here before you. You missed it. And they're like, huh? Like, what did I miss? So let me let you know. And if you're taking notes, this will be point number one. Need requires love. Need requires love. Need always requires it. Jesus saw the need because of his love. Jesus spent, you know, you read through his whole, this whole three years, three and a half years on earth, just through the gospel, and you will see time and time again that Jesus stops to meet, to meet the need of everyone. He stops. Why? Because he loves people. He'd have agenda. He's on his way, and all of a sudden, someone would come across that path, and he wouldn't walk past them. He would feed them, and he would meet the need. This is why our core value here at the Springs is Jesus is our message. You see, Jesus is at the center of everything we do. We believe in the power of, the pre of preaching the good news of Jesus and worshiping together with singing. Jesus is our message. Why? Because it's going to feed the need of someone else as well as ourselves. The lost are our priority. We believe that the lost are God's top priority and therefore the lost should be the highest priority of our church. 
Our church desires to equip the insider, but not at the expense of disengaging the outsider. We build on a weekend, our weekend service with the lost in mind. We are committed to do anything short of sin to reach the lost for Jesus. We are reaching... We are a reaching church. We are a rescuing church. We are an inviting church. We are a welcoming church. And we do whatever it takes, church, because that's what Jesus did for us. We should get to a place where no longer is it just about what you can do for me, God, but it's about what can I go and do for others. We're going to move like The need is where it stops, and the need is all it requires is love. That's all the need needs is love. How many people have we passed on the side of a road because they were broken down? That person just needed love during that time. I know. Love sees need. Need requires love. There's so much need in our world, and I will tell you how we're going to meet it with love. That's what we're going to do. At the Springs Church, our core values, along with the other ones that I just read, are people are a passion. Relationship with you is my passion. I love it. I love hanging out with people. The city This city that we live in, this great city of St. George, is our responsibility. Serving. Serving is our joy, and it should be. Why? Because love comes with joy. Giving. Giving is our privilege. Giving is our privilege to someone else. I'm not talking about giving to the church. I'm talking about giving your time to others. That's what I'm talking about. It all needs, it's all need, all the needs require love. Well, let's talk about seed for a minute. So we have need, we have seed. Seed requires hope. Seed is what you put in the ground hoping that the elements won't destroy it. But it will start to germinate and flourish and grow up. Seed is what we put in. I mean, how many times have you planted a seed with your kids? in that little styrofoam cup or Dixie cup. How many times? And then you put the dirt in, you water it, and you wait. And you sit there and you wait. And you sit there and you're like, is something going to happen? Come on, God, something's going to happen, have to happen for my child. Please, Father, please let it grow. And all of a sudden, you start to see that nutrients of the soil along with the water along with sunlight, all of those things come together and that seed grows into something beautiful or a bean in that case. But it grows, right? Seed is always the potential of what can be. So we need, we need because of love. Love is what spurs us on. We see it, but hope says there's a better day. Right? So seed needs, right? Seed requires hope. Hope, better day. You come back to the need. There's always two sides of it, though. Here's the problem with it. There's a side of, am I needy? 
or am I needed? What side, church, do we live on? What side do we live on? Am I a needy person, which means you've always got to fix me? Or am I a needed person, if I'm not there with that person, then something's going to happen with them that's not good? What side do you live on? I believe it says love takes centerpiece in our heart, that we shift from needy to need, to needed. Only then can we start to see that the seed requires hope, and it It's hope that brings life. It's hope that brings the potential. Now there's something better. There's something that can happen here. It's going to leave your life full of hope. The news is going to give us all kinds of reasons why not. All of the reasons why we shouldn't. All of the things that are going to go wrong. Everything that's probably not going to happen, right? For example, there are things in my life that caused me not to want to stop for someone on the side of the road because of I'm I'm fearful. But, But hope, if I trust in hope, shouldn't I believe that I'm there for a reason? So the need requires that hope. And then what about feed? The whole story is about need, seed, and feed. Need requires love. Seed requires hope. And it's obvious then that the only one that's left is feed. And feed requires faith. Feed requires faith. And it's the difference, right? Hope allows me to see the potential. But it Feed and faith, it's the difference between me having my needs met and or moving to a place now where I'm needed. How many of us live in the place where my needs aren't met? And we realize that our needs were met, but it's us that are actually needed by someone else. Hope allows me to see the potential the seed will do, that potential in people and fixed with faith. James says that faith without action is dead. How can I love God whom I can't see? If I can't love my brother, who can I see? Faith says, let's make this across the line. Let's move this into action. Let's step this up in a gear. And as we come along in our Christianity, in our walk with God, let, let us change from that needed person or from that needy person to that needed person. Let us be a church who is needed, not a church who is needy. Church, we need to realize that he said I'm thirsty, not because he was thirsty, but because he was fulfilling the need of us the need that was going on inside of everybody back then like when are you going to come Jesus when are you going to come Messiah that was the need that's what people saw I want Emily and I first got here we we went out to a lake 
And I remember seeing someone stuck. They were stuck in the mud. And the first time I, I did a loop, and I kind of just started to drive off. I looked back over my shoulder, and I noticed they really couldn't get out. And then I pulled back around. I was like, I really don't have anything in my car to help them, so what, what, what am I going to do? And I remember their little daughter running up saying, hey, 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 my daddy's stuck. Can you get us? Can you help us? Can you please help us? And I, at that time, I had the manliest Jeep that you could have. I had a Rubicon, which could probably pull anything out of anything. And I just, I was like, yeah, sure. But the thing was, is I actually got out of my car and I just started digging, trying to help. But you know what? I realized that there was someone else coming up and they were just in a a regular car. And I was like, hey, this is weird because you're in a Toyota and I'm in a Rubicon and I don't have anything to pull anything, pull a person out of mud with. Do you? Yeah, I do. So it was two people who saw a need of someone else's. And we fed it by helping them get out of the mud. Now, why do I tell that story? I tell that story because those are two of my closest friends here in St. George, and they're the two people that we met the first time, the first people that we met here in St. George. They don't come to our church often, They've been every now and then, but yet we go out once every couple months and catch up. But you know what? What I realized, I realized in this story that the lady left her bucket at the well. She came to the well for water, but yet she left her bucket at the well to go tell others. What are you leaving behind so that you can go meet the need of someone else? I see here a church that transforms a city. Let's be a church where we see darkness turns to light. The lost are found, the blind see, bondage is broken, and people are set free. Let's be a church where worshipers come to life. Let's be a church where people can call home. Let's be a church where it's okay not to be okay. Let's be a church that sends out leaders to plant more churches like this. Let's be a church that unites a city to be known as a place where there's a movement of God happening. Let's be a church that is passionate to do what God has called, even if it's uncomfortable. Let's be a church that will live a life of faith and not of fear. Church, let's be a church that doesn't stop until everyone knows God, everybody finds freedom, everybody discovers their purpose, and they start going to make a difference in this world, in this community, and around the world. Let's be that church. Let's be a church that makes a difference with our neighbor. Let's be a church. Let's be a church that goes, finds the need, that plants a seed, 
and then feeds that seed. Today, as you leave, you're going to receive something. Don't walk out the door without receiving this. Yes, it is a simple cross. But this cross has seed in it. This cross has seed that if you plant in the ground and you water, you're going to see something happen. You're going to see a beautiful flower or flowers happen. You're going to see transformation happen. And that's what happens when we go share about Jesus to others. That's what happens. Church, you received on your seat an invite for Easter. I am not the best preacher, and we are not the best worship team, and we will never claim to be that. But I will tell you this. We love people more than anything. That's why we want you to invite people here, so that we can love on them with you. And through that process, we pray that a transformation happens in each and everyone's life here in St. George, Washington County, the state of Utah. Church, let's be a church that makes a difference. Let's be that church. Let's be a church that brings water, brings that, brings that joy. Let's be a church like that lady and drops all our needs at the foot of Jesus and goes and makes a difference in the community. Let's pray. Father, today, like every other Sunday, you make, you make a great example for us and what it shows to be a true follower of Christ. God, you said I thirst up on that cross. And God, I'm sure you weren't because for 40 days and 40 nights, you were out, you were without water, without food. You were just being an example of what we needed to leave there at that cross was our need for anything because of what you did fulfilled everything. You are the living water. And Father, today I want to pray for some people who may not know anything to do with the living water. And Father, I pray that through the today's service and through maybe some conversation with their friends or family that they've been able to come and realize that they're missing something and that, that something is you. And if that's you and, and you've never received Jesus in your life, I want to pray with you. On the count of three, I just ask that you raise your hands so I know who I'm praying with. I know who I'm believing for. One, two, three. That's you, and you need to know who Jesus is for the first time or the first time in a long time. Just raise your hand so I can pray with you. All right, I ask that you will pray this in your heart as I pray it out loud. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on that cross. 
for me. And as I lead my need there, Father, I pray that Jesus and Holy Spirit walks with me from this day forward. And Jesus, I come to you and I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior and that you are the only one that can give me the water and the food that I need as we've seen in the example of the woman of the well. Jesus, I thank you for for doing what you've done up on that cross. I thank you for defeating death. And on that third day, you rose again. And you came back and you said, I would... I would leave with you someone else. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for walking with us every day in our lives. And we just ask that you will continue to guide and direct us, direct our our steps. And you will just continue to allow us to live out of the tree of life. And in Jesus' almighty name, Everybody said, amen.